0: Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. I just want to update you very quickly if I could. Many of you prayed last week. I asked specifically for our congregation to pray about our partners in South Asia and I told you last Tuesday at 1155 was kind of a big deal and, and I hope some of you remember to pray I did. they made it through fine. no problems. They skirted right through where they needed to go and, and all the things they were concerned about. And none of it happened. And so we just praise the Lord for that. That's one of those small moments that we probably don't fully understand but in eternity we'll probably know what a big deal that was. but thank you for your prayer and your faithfulness for all that the lord did in that situation so i'm going to pray for us and we're going to begin father we love you and serve you and are thankful that you are faithful and just lord you are righteous and we love you and so we thank you for what you've done and and specifically in the lives of the missionaries that we prayed for for what you're doing in that country and that part of the world and really what you're doing all over the world with all of our partners father we're just uh, in all of your power and what you're able to accomplish, Lord. And we're just so thankful that you've called us to be just a small part of that, Father. We understand you've got a plan for for the world and for history and for whatever reason. And, and, And Father, it's hard for us to understand sometimes you called us to be a part of that plan. And you want to use us and send us to do great things, whether it's right here in our community or around the world, Lord. So just thank you for what you're doing. And we praise your name, Lord. I pray you'd be with us this morning as we... Open the truth of your word as we do every Sunday morning. I pray, Lord, that I'd be faithful to preach the truth, not my own ideas or my preferences or my opinions, but the truth of your word. And then I pray as we examine your truth, Father, that clearly through the power of the Spirit we would understand more about you and be transformed more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen. Take your Bibles and open to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. We are just kind of right in the middle of our study in the book of Genesis. We've passed the midpoint over the last few weeks. We've been talking about Isaac. And last week, I want to kind of catch you up and review a little bit. If you weren't here or just to kind of remind you where we've been and kind of where we're going, Isaac and Rebekah have two sons, Jacob and Esau. Although Jacob is the younger of the two, he's chosen by the Lord. And really from the beginning that causes some problems. It causes some strife between uh, Isaac and Rebekah. And we saw that manifest itself last week in the lie and kind of the fake blessing. You may remember the story. The problem, even though the Lord calls Jacob, is that Isaac wants to bless Esau who's not chosen of God. And so Isaac kind of makes this decision on his own that even though Jacob is the chosen son, he's going to bless Esau. And so you remember our study last week, he calls Esau in and he says, go get some food for me, bring it back and I'm going to bless you. And Rebekah, the wife, overhears, tells her son Jacob to go and get some food. She prepares it for her husband. And then Jacob kind of dresses up and puts on Esau's clothes and pretends to be Esau so he can be blessed by his father. So you have kind of this tangled web of lies and, and cheating and, and just a, a situation, a family situation filled with sin. We talked last week about how dysfunctional it was, but the most amazing part of the story and, and, and kind of the, the thing that we really focused on towards the end was even in the midst of all of the sin, even in the midst of all of the failures and the problems within this family, God's will was still be still done. You understand that? His will still prevailed And it was encouraging to me to know that even though sometimes I'm sinful, even though sometimes I make mistakes, God's will is still going to be done. He's still in charge. He still uses broken, sinful people just like you and just like me to do great things. And so I just encouraged you last week, and I'll I'll encourage you again, and I feel like just kind of in my heart as we kind of go through this middle section of the book of Genesis. One of the main themes that we've kind of seen over and over is that very idea. God uses these kinds of people. It is so easy for us to fall into the trap of thinking God can't use me or I'm too far away. and, and, And I just want you to hear the truth of the word of God. He can still use you and will still use you. But here's the important thing and here's kind of the difficult thing we need to understand. There's been great sin in this family and God is faithful and just to forgive sin. He always has been and he always will be. But here's the human aspect and the human side of this. When there is sin, even though God may forgive that sin and will forgive that sin if we ask, there oftentimes are still consequences for our sins, right? It's not as if the forgiveness of the Lord wipes away all the consequences, And so what we're going to see in our study today is a family that has sinned, has made mistakes, and although the Lord's going to forgive that, and his will is still going to be done, we're going to see consequences from the failure of mom and dad, and the failure of the two brothers. So we'll pick up the story in Genesis chapter 28, beginning in verse 1. We should have it on the screen for you, and you certainly can follow along in your Bible as well. Genesis 28, beginning in verse 1. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. Now, this is kind of the rightful blessing. He's already done it under false pretenses. We studied that last week. This is kind of the rightful blessing. He's not hiding it from anybody. He's being very clear. He's going to call his son. He's going to bless him. And then he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. Now, this may seem kind of out of left field. We're going to backtrack a second and kind of make the connection of why this makes sense. Don't marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Padan Aram to the house of your mother's father, Bethul. Take a wife for yourself there from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. So he says, go marry a cousin. Now, that's weird to us. It feels kind of strange to talk about it and think about it. But in this time period, it's a pretty normal thing. So he says, we don't want you to marry anybody around here. Go back to your, to your mother's brother's house and find a wife there. Verse 3. May God Almighty bless you. Now, here's the blessing. Make you fruitful. Increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham. So that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner. The land God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way. And he went to to the to Laban son of Bethul, the the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. Verse 6. Now... Esau, right? So we've, we've looked at Jacob and what Jacob's about to do. Now Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob. And he sent him to Panam Aram to take a wife from there. And that when he blessed him, he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to Panam Aram. So Esau then realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father Isaac. So he went to Ishmael and married Methel the sister of Nabeth, the daughter of Ishmael, son of Abraham, in addition to the wives they already had. Now Ishmael, just a reminder, Abraham's firstborn son, not the chosen son. He's distanced himself from the family. Verse 10. So Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and he lay down to sleep now let's pause for a second and let's kind of work through this passage of scripture to better understand it here's truth number one we're going to delve into this and we're going to try to understand verses one through 11 a little bit more number one jacob at this point flees from his family in search of a wife so we want to kind of summarize the first 10 verses at this point jacob now is on the run okay Now, this is important for us to understand. We need to understand kind of where we got to this point because when we begin to delve into and understand a little bit better, we're reminded again of the sin of the family of Isaac and Rebecca. We're reminded of kind of their dysfunction and we're going to see that the sins that they've committed are going to have consequences in their lives. And let's just rewind uh, about a week and let's remember, Rebecca had lied to her husband. You remember that story? She'd been untruthful. She'd been unfaithful to him. she had actually manipulated him into doing some things. And so she's pretty good at kind of setting the stage to get her husband to do what she wants him to do. Now, I know none of us have ever done that, right? None of us have ever attempted that or even thought about that. So this is somebody else. Maybe we can learn a little bit from it. But she's good at kind of manipulating her husband to do the things that she wants to do. My wife in here this morning. I can say all kind of good stuff like that. All kind of good stuff this morning. My son's sick, she's at home. She's not just laying out this morning, but she's home with him. So Rebecca, in the end of chapter 27, I want to point this out to you. This is important to kind of understand her heart and what she's doing. Look at verse 46 if you're looking in, in your scripture at exactly what Rebecca's going to say at the end of chapter 27. Rebecca said to Isaac, now this is where the manipulation begins here. Remember, Rebecca wanted Jacob to leave because she was fearful of his life. Esau had gotten angry with him. Esau wanted to murder his brother Jacob, And so mama wants to send Jacob away because she's afraid that his brother is going to kill him. But she needs dad on board. So she's got to manipulate dad to get Jacob to leave. So look what she says in verse 46 of Genesis 27. Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm disgusted with living because of these Hittite women. Now these are the people that surround them where they live at that point. If Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land, from Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. So she's kind of planting this seed and her husband's head, listen, Jacob doesn't need to marry a woman here. Nobody here is any good. He needs to find a woman elsewhere. So what do we see when we move now into chapter 28 is that Isaac has kind of listened to his wife. He calls his son and he says to him, listen, you don't need to marry a woman around here. You need to go somewhere else. You need to go back to our home place and you need to find a wife there. Now there's a couple of kind of sad commentaries that ought to go along with the idea. The first one is Rebecca is still manipulating her husband. There's still deceit, there's still untruth, and it kind of, maybe the the moral to this idea is is maybe within marriage we could just be honest with each other. What what about that model? What if we could just kind of tell each other the truth and talk through issues together? But maybe even the most important, and maybe the, the more concerning, is that you've got a man here, Jacob, who at this point is about 70 years old. Now, for the first time in his life, and this is interesting to me, for the first time in his life, he's considering marriage. Now, most men, guys, you can back me up on this. We think about getting married a little before we turn seventy, don't we? Happens a little younger in life, right? We become interested in a young lady, and maybe she becomes interested in us, and we decide to marry her. So, the fact that he's seventy is a, is a, a little strange. But more strange than that, in my mind, is the fact that his mom and dad, at this point, had it seems at least never had a conversation with him about their desires or their wishes or the will of the Lord in his life. Because it's almost like this revelation all of a sudden to him that they say to him, listen, you don't need to marry a woman around here. You need to go find a wife somewhere else. so I think we kind of begin to understand with with the problems in this family and and the mistakes that they made, maybe this isn't necessarily the way we need to live our lives. And so we we start asking ourselves the question, what what should I be doing, Lord, based on this truth? How should I be living my life? And it, it just kind of occurs to me, it reminds me that as a parent or maybe a grandparent, we should on a pretty regular basis have conversations with our children about how the Lord's working in their lives. I I just really hope that I don't wait until my children are 70 before they hear from me about what I desire and what I want the Lord to do in their hearts. I hope it doesn't take 70 years for me to have this conversation with them. I'm just reminded of how important it is for for mom and dad to pour into the life of their kids. You know, there are all kind of interesting studies there's all kind of books you can read on parenting and there's all kind of opinions. And I think we've kind of bought into this lie in our world today, parents at least have, and you have to be careful not to buy into this lie, that society and you know, all the things that society are speaking so hard to your kids that you don't even have any place in their lives anymore. And you find that, people will say that. Listen, when they reach about 11 or 12 or whatever, you don't really have a place in their life anymore. You just kind of become their friends because society's going to begin to talk to them and their friends. And statistically, though, and, and what studies actually say, is the parent is still the most influential person in the life of that kid. Did you know that? Mom and dad, don't, don't buy the lie that you don't have any place in the life of your teenager anymore. You absolutely do. And so what are we doing? We, 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 can't, we can't control our kids. We're not like controlling them like robots but we should let them know Look, this is how i feel honey this is what i think the lord's saying what's the lord doing in your life when's the last time we prayed with our kids about the lord's direction for their life when's the last time we asked our kids hey what do you think the lord's doing in your heart what do you think he wants you to be when you grow up How much are you praying about what college you ought to be going to? How much are you praying about your career? How much are you praying about how the Lord wants to use you right now? Because if we're not having those conversations with our kids, chances are nobody is. And we need to remind them not only of who the Lord is, but what the Lord has done in our lives. Your kids or your grandkids or your nieces or your nephews need to hear the stories about how God was faithful in your heart. How God was faithful in your life. All the things he did to direct you and all the things he did to guide you and to lead you and to protect you, our kids need to hear about that. For whatever reason, Isaac and Rebecca hadn't done that. And so you've got this family that's kind of dysfunctional and now you've got this man who's lied to his dad and he's been manipulative, he's been dishonest and now he's on the run. So Jacob is going to set off. He's going to leave. He's going to now try to father follow his mother and his father's wishes. He's going to get out of there. He's alone and afraid. And, and I found an interesting thing in a commentary. I just want to kind of read it to you. It talked about all the ways in which Jacob was alone. It said Jacob was alone physically. He was in a barren, rocky wasteland in the middle of nowhere, right? He sets off kind of by himself the Bible says he finds this place on the ground, finds the stone, and, and literally lays down to go to sleep. He's physically alone. He's socially alone at this point. He's separated from his family. He's fleeing from his wife, from his, for his life, looking for a wife. His brother wants to kill him. He's lied to his dad. His mother's very manipulative. So he's, he's alone socially, he's alone materially. As we study, we'll see over the next few pages that he probably didn't take anything with him. So this is the man that just kind of sets out on his own, by himself, alone, materially. And then he's alone spiritually. It's as if he's kind of separated himself from his family and from his possessions and from the Lord. And he's literally, he's literally in a wilderness physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And as I read this passage of Scripture, I I can assure you, and as some of you read it, I can assure you, some of you probably feel like you're there right now, don't you? I bet there are people that have come this morning or have been struggling this week, and maybe you feel absolutely alone. Maybe you're on the run from something. Maybe there's something that's happened that you don't want to deal with. Maybe you're kind of isolated from your family. Maybe you're in a place where you feel utterly alone. Alone. Well, I want you to understand Jacob was alone in this very moment, and it's in this very moment the Lord's going to do something amazing. Listen, how one scholar described it Jacob was finally at the end of himself. He came to realize he would never prosper on the basis of his schemes and his struggles. His self assurance was probably an all time low. This was the ideal time for God to break into his life for now. Jacob knew how much he needed God in order to be blessed as his father had been. Jacob's in a bad spot and he needs help. So let's continue our study now, verse 12. So he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to the heaven and the angels of God were descending or ascending and descending on it. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome in this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of of heaven, So in the midst of, of Jacob's isolation, in the midst of his fear, in the midst of him feeling utterly alone, truth number two, the Lord speaks to Jacob in a dream. The Lord speaks to Jacob in a dream. You know, sometimes God just has to get our attention, doesn't he? Now, if we were not honest with each other, And we kind of had the church hat on and we were speaking like we were in a Sunday school class and saying the things we were supposed to say. We would probably say that we're all very spiritual and that we're always exactly where we need to be and we're always studying our word and we're always praying and seeking the Lord. But we all know, myself included, that's not the case, right? Our Christian wall kind of ebbs and flows. It's like peaks and valleys. And there are times that we're maybe very spiritual and in tune with the Lord. And then there are times we're kind of in that valley. And we're in that pit. And we're in a very difficult, kind of almost a desperate place. And and we begin to realize, especially through Scripture, and we see it sometimes even in our lives. It's oftentimes when we're at the very valley and the very lowest that the Lord speaks to us the most, isn't it? Because I think it's in those moments that maybe we're willing to listen. It's in those moments that maybe we're willing to hear. It's in those moments we've kind of said, you know, Lord, I don't really know what else to do. I'm just going to have to trust you to do all the things you've said you're going to do. So Jacob finds himself in this place. He's in the bottom. He's at the low. He's on the run. He's afraid. The Lord speaks to him in a dream. Now I want to be careful here and just just take one, one minute to kind of think through this just for a second. We need to be careful when we think the Lord is speaking to us through dreams. Now I just want to say from the beginning, I believe the Lord can absolutely speak that way. I'm not saying that. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is dreams can be very subjective, can't they? And sometimes we take a dream, and we think the Lord may be speaking to us and saying this, and we're not quite sure. And and, and so one kind of clear-cut way to know if the Lord is speaking or not is to always compare what you think he's telling you to do to the word of the Lord. You understand that? This is always our definitive answer. This is always our guide. So if you feel like the Lord's calling you to do something, but it's contrary to the word of God, then he's not calling you to do that, I promise. If the Lord you feel like is calling you to do something that's a sin, then I can promise you he's not doing it. And so as we seek the Lord and trust the Lord more, we should always compare the way we, we sense him moving us to the truth of his word. Now, I've talked a lot the last several months about the dreams that are happening around the world. It's, just, it's a fascinating idea to me that you see people all over the world, especially within the, the Muslim community in the Middle East, And in South Asia, the Lord is speaking to these people in dreams. And there have been numerous books written about it. And you can educate yourself and read articles. And I've recommended some books. And I know some of you have read some of those books. But you see this just incredible move of the Spirit speaking into the hearts of these people. But here's what we have to understand. These people don't have a dream and wake up a Christian. You understand that? Instead, they have a dream and they wake up now interested in the things of Christ. They wake up now with kind of a desire and a passion to learn more about the Lord that they had this dream about. So it leads them to a place of study. Oftentimes it will lead them to a missionary or to the word of God. And then through that process, somebody witnessing to them, somebody studying God's word, they become a Christian. What the dream basically does, very simply, it gets their attention. You understand that? It gets their attention so they know the Lord is speaking. That's exactly what God does in this dream. God takes a man who's at his lowest, who kind of needs a break in life, so to speak. And God says, I'm going to get your attention through this dream. And then in the middle of this dream, I'm going to tell you some pretty important things. Now, this is an interesting part of Scripture. In fact, your Bible may call it Jacob's ladder or stairway or whatever. And it's kind of found a place in pop culture Kind of a funny story about that, I was doing some research this week about Jacob's Ladder in pop culture, and there've been a lot of, there's been a movie called Jacob's Ladder, there have been some books written about it, it finds, a place, finds its place in a lot of different areas, but one of the places it's found is in songs, and there's the song Stairway to Heaven, some of you have heard the song, probably you've all heard it, right, you don't have to pretend like you haven't heard it, what, what is that song, I've never heard of that before. And so this week, I hadn't heard it in a long time. And so it was funny this week, I, I listened to it. I wanted to hear it. I wanted to listen to the lyrics. And the lyrics are just way off, by the way. So it's an interesting idea, though. And it's, the song has got a nice sound to it. But I found myself, you'll laugh at me. I found myself, because I'd listened to it in my study, and I was just kind of listening to the words and reading a little bit about the song and how it was written. I found myself later today, I'm, I'm literally walking through the halls of the church, whistling stairway to heaven. And I kind of caught myself and I said, you know, maybe I should explain to people why I'm doing this. This is part of sermon research, right? It gives me a, <laughs> gives me a little bit of a, a freedom to do some things I wouldn't normally do. But God's going to use this in Jacob's life to speak to him, and it's, it's going to be a big deal. Now, I, I believe, and I want to kind of make this point scripturally, I believe that this was not a big deal simply because the Lord is going to speak to Jacob and kind of direct him. I think it was a big deal because it's really the first time God is going to have a personal conversation with this man. With this man, he's going to give him just a clear picture and a clear direction of where he ought to go. So I think, really, in Jacob's life, he kind of knew the stories of God. He kind of knew about who God was, but he didn't know God personally. You understand what I mean by that? You know, if we fast forward a couple of thousand years and and we kind of apply this to our lives, it's not really enough to kind of know who Jesus is or about Jesus Or maybe even be able to answer some questions about who Jesus is if you don't know Jesus personally. There are plenty of people in our world that that know who Jesus is and they know his stories and they know about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. And so maybe we should take just, you know, just a few seconds in our own hearts and just kind of examine that question. Do, Do we know about Jesus or do we know Jesus? Do we understand who he is kind of in this this mental idea or do we have a heart connection and a personal relationship with him? Because Jacob is going to find out very quickly it's not enough just to know who God is. You need to know God. It's not enough just to kind of hear the stories. You need to allow him to work in your life. Now there's an interesting part of chapter 27, you don't have to flip back, but if you're right there in your Bibles and you want to look, Genesis chapter 27 verse 20, there's kind of this clue into the heart of Jacob. Jacob had gone in to trick his father, he was pretending to be Esau, and you remember his dad had told him to go out and get the food and bring it back and to, and to cook it and bring it a meal, and it, it happened pretty quickly, so his dad thought. So verse 20 of chapter 27, Isaac asked his son, now this is Jacob pretending to be Esau. He asked his son, how did you find it so quickly? In other words, how did you go out and get the hunted and bring it back and cook it and prepare it and bring it? How did you do this so quickly? Look at the response at the end of that verse where his son kind of clues him in. The Lord, your God, gave me success. See that? Dad, your God did this for you. This is your faith. This is the one you trust. Kind of goes back to that idea of parenthood. And this is not a sermon about parenthood, but I think it's awfully important for us to help our children understand not only our faith, but help them work through the process when it moves from our faith to their faith, right? You've probably been through it. If you've got kids, maybe you're going through But there comes a time for every child where mama and daddy's faith has to become their own faith. And so I'm going to do as a dad everything I can to teach my children and to pray with my children and have conversations about the Lord with my children. But at some point, they've got to choose. And when they do, I want them to have a solid background and I want them to know with absolute certainty where I stand. So Jacob says, it's not really my God, dad. It's your God. In fact, the Lord kind of says the same thing. Look at verse 13 of chapter 28. Now bring that up if you would for me, Wanda. We're gonna, we're gonna walk through a few of these verses for just a few minutes in a little more detail. Chapter 13 of verse 28. As the Lord stands above the ladder and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham. Now remember, that was really his grandfather, but it's the idea of kind of his, 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 the fatherly line of Abraham. I am the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. See, it doesn't say I'm your God. He doesn't yet say, I'm going to lead you. So there's this sense here that Jacob has kind of separated himself from the Lord. He hasn't followed the Lord. He's probably never heard from the Lord. So what does the Lord say to him? How does the Lord speak to him? Look at verse 13 as we kind of finish that verse up. I'm the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Now let's pause there for a second because I want to take a step back and I always want to make sure we're understanding the big picture here. Now, now, big picture, if we were just kind of take a 30,000 foot view of Genesis and then moving on to Exodus. At the end of Genesis, these Israelite people are going to be moved into the captivity in Egypt, right? They're going to follow uh, Joseph and his family and they're going to go into Egypt because of a famine. They're going to be enslaved for 400 years in Egypt God is going to call Moses at the beginning of Exodus to go into Egypt to talk to the Pharaoh and to bring these people out. Remember the story? Now when he brings them out, he takes them where? Do you remember? To the promised land. Right? We hear that word all the time, that phrase, the promised land. This land that the Lord is speaking to Jacob about right now, this is the land that God is going to give to these people. This is the promised land. You understand that? This isn't just some wilderness area. This isn't just some campsite he found It's not just a nice spot with a nice view of the stars. This is the promised land. And so God says, I'm going to promise to give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. This is it, man. This is the land. I I promised it to Abraham. I promised it to your dad. Now I'm promising it to you. Not only am I going to give it to you, but look at verse 15. I'm going to be with you. I'm gonna watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. Now remember, Jacob is on the run. He's gonna leave the land to find a wife and we'll see this over the next few weeks, but he's actually gonna be gone now from the promised land for 20 years. So 20 years he's gonna be gone and the Lord is gonna promise him, listen, if you'll be faithful and trust me, then I'll bring you back. And now I want you to watch the response. I I think this is just fascinating. Look at verse 16. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Now, let's let's camp there just for a minute because he makes this realization in his life that the Lord is at work. That the Lord's doing some pretty cool things, and the the Lord is actually going to use him. And the Bible says his response to this was, I was not aware of it. Isn't that interesting? Now, I just wonder, and and I have to admit that I probably fall into this same trap. I just wonder how many of us are walking around in the world, kind of our journey in life. The Lord is doing all kind of stuff all around us, and we're not even aware of it. You ever thought about that? I mean, just think about how busy you are. Think about all the things that you do, all the assignments you have, all the responsibilities at work, all the responsibilities with your family, all the games and tryouts and cheerleading and dance and all the stuff that we do with our kids, all the stuff we have to do with family and the social things, and there's just so much that we do. And I just wonder if we're just kind of oftentimes walking through life with these blinders on, like, like we're just walking around and the Lord's at work all around us and we're not even aware of it. Have you ever wondered that? I, I just kind of had to stop as I, as I kind of studied through this this week and just kind of take stock maybe in my own life and maybe you should do the thing, same thing and, and kind of pray a little bit. Lord, maybe open my eyes to where you are at work. Maybe open my eyes to, to all the areas around me where you are doing great things. Open my eyes, Lord, to how I can be involved maybe at work and where you're working. Or maybe on the soccer field where you're working. Or maybe in some sort of a social event where you're working. Because Here's the truth. God is at work everywhere. God is at work in every person's life in some way. It's not about whether God's at work. It's really about can we recognize it? Do we stop long enough and seek the Lord so we can say, you know, the Lord is in this place and I was not even aware of it. Imagine if you kind of had that, that, that light bulb go off at work next week and you kind of looked around one day and the Lord just kind of spoke to you and you said, you know what, the Lord is at work here. And I didn't even know it. You know, that guy over there really needs Christ and I've never even spent time to talk to him and ask him if I can help him. Or that lady over there has got a sickness in her family, I've never asked if I could pray for her. Or, or all these people in my job that I have conversations with on a regular basis, none of them really know about my faith. I just wonder how many, how many chances we're missing where we could say, you know, the, the Lord is at work and I wasn't even aware of it. So, so notice what happens. This is an important kind of progression for us, right? A man on the run, he's afraid, he's fearful, he's alone. The Lord speaks to him in this incredible way through this dream and reminds him of the promises of his grandfather and his father. He speaks clearly to him. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you this land. And now I want you to notice the response in verse 17. After he's kind of had this epiphany of, wow, the Lord is here and the Lord is at work, I want you to look at his response in verse 17. He was afraid and said, how awesome. Now, King James actually uses the word dreadful. We'll talk about that in a second. How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Now, that word awesome in the the NIV and I think ESV has awesome. And the King James uses the word dreadful. It's this idea of the holy fear of the Lord. It's the idea of recognizing the power of the Lord recognizing the glory of the Lord and living our lives in such a way that we have respect for who God is and it leads us to obedience. you understand that? It's kind of that moment when we realize that he really is God and he really is control, in control and he really does expect things from me and it's kind of that moment when we kind of come to, come to grips with the truth that if he is God and he has called me to do things, and he expects me to be obedient, that I need to actually be doing something with my faith. It's his healthy respect and fear. One writer explained it like this. He said, it's fear that produces pious submission. It's kind of like once once we recognize the, the power of the Lord... Once we recognize the, the strength of the Lord, once we recognize all the Lord is, is actually doing, it should lead us to action. You understand that? And so let's see now as Jacob realizes who the Lord is and his power and he has this, this, this dread or this awesome respect now for who God is. Let's see where that leads him in verse 18. So early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head, right, his little pillow, and he set it up as a pillar. And he poured oil on top of it. He called the place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear. Again, just another indication. He was alone. He didn't really have the provisions he needed. He didn't even probably have an extra change of clothes. He needs the Lord to provide these things. If the Lord will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, Verse 21 now, so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you gave me, I will give you a tenth. So watch again, right? So Jacob is alone. He's rejected. He's afraid. He's on the run. He needs something in his life. It's in his moment of absolute weakness and suffering that the Lord speaks to him as he often does in our lives. When he does that, he speaks to him in a dream. He's very clear about the promise. He's very clear about his power. And then it leads, truth number three, Jacob to worship the Lord. See that? See what this does when God speaks into our life and he gives us clarity and we begin to recognize his power. It ought to lead us to worship. And so he does some things here that are very interesting to me. The first thing he does is he takes the rock that he's been sleeping on. The, the really comfortable pillow, right? The, the foam pillow he's been... The rock that he's been sleeping on. And he makes, a, he makes this, this pillar with it, right? He takes the oil and he pours it on to kind of anoint it. And he says, that's kind of a silly thing to do. Why, why would you take a rock... And pour oil on well, it. Well, was, it was simply a marker for him. It was a physical, visible reminder of the Lord's faithfulness. That's all that was. Now, that's important because, you know what? We're humans and we forget about the Lord's goodness, don't we? We forget about the Lord's faithfulness, don't we? We forget about how the Lord has blessed us. And so I believe it's really good sometimes to have physical reminders of what he's done for us. So a, a real simple way of doing that is a journal. I've talked about this in the past. Maybe a, a prayer journal. One of the things I do, anytime I go on mission, I take a, I take a journal with me. and I don't, I'm not a journaler otherwise. But when I'm on a mission trip, I journal a lot because I want to remember. I don't want to forget what the Lord did there. I want to remember his faithfulness. And so on those days when I'm back home and maybe I feel kind of dry spiritually, And maybe I'm a little down and I can't really remember what the Lord's done and I'm I'm struggling a little bit. You know what I'll do sometimes? I'll take out one of those little journals and I'll open those things up and I'll just read a couple pages. Because you know what it is? It's a physical reminder in my life of something I can look at and read that points directly to the faithfulness of the Lord in my life. And I'm reminded in those moments of his goodness. I'm reminded of his power. His power. I'm reminded that I, I can keep on going and keep on doing. I, I did something in my office, I don't know, a year or so ago. I, I, I just wanted a, I wanted a nice map behind my desk. By the way, you're all welcome to come in my office and see it. Not all at one time, but you can come in a few at a time and see it. I'd love for you to see it. I couldn't find a map, that I wanted. So you know what? I just started thinking about it and praying a little bit about it. And I just said, you know, I'll just, I'll just make a map. And so what I did is I cut out a world map. And you can see it. It's made of wood and I painted it black. And then I took, anytime I go on a mission trip, I save stuff. Not a lot of stuff, but I'll save a few pieces of paper and some items that were important to me. And I kind of had them in a box. And so I took that box and I started pulling all those things out and I, and I started cutting them and I kind of made this mosaic. And so what I've got in my office now behind my desk is a map of the world with things stuck up all over that are, that are from my trips. So boarding passes, a picture of a kid that really spoke to my heart, a, an entry of a journal or a letter that maybe one of you guys wrote me. And so I, on my desk, every time I walk into my office... Every morning I walk into my office, I've got this visible reminder now of what the Lord has done in my life. And there are literally times when I'll sit there and I'll kind of need to be reminded of that. And I'll just kind of wheel around in my, in my chair and I'll look up at that desk and I'll look at a picture and it'll just remind me. You remember what the Lord did there? You remember how the Lord spoke to you right there? You remember how the Lord used you to reach this person for Christ or disciple this person? Remember how the Lord's at work all over the world? We We need physical reminders. We need to remember what the Lord has done. And when the Lord does something good in our life, and it leads us to worship him, we ought to act. It ought to lead us to do something. It ought to lead us to be more. So God says, I'm going to be with you. He promises to protect him. He promises to watch over him on his journey. And there's this kind of connection for the first time with Jacob there's a connection that God is going to be his God. Jacob is going to follow him. God is going to bless him and use him for great things. Now, some of you are thinking, and I'm winding this down this morning. Some of you are thinking, you know, it, it'd be great if I could kind of have one of these dreams, right? Some of you already may be thinking, man, if the Lord give me one of these dreams. Because I've been struggling a little bit with what the Lord wants me to do. And I'm maybe challenged a little bit by my faith right now. And it sure would be cool if I could have a dream. You know, it would be cool if I could have kind of have direct access to heaven. Wouldn't that be cool? I kind of have this direct access to heaven. Now, I want to tie this together for you and finish this up. Don't turn there unless you just want to. But I want to draw your attention to John chapter 1, okay? I'm not going to preach a whole other sermon on John 1. I'm just going to read a couple of verses, I promise. But there's a fascinating connection in John chapter 1. Because John chapter 1, Christ is going to begin to call his disciples... Okay, so John chapter 1, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip. He said to him, follow me, right? So Jesus is calling his disciples. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, they were from the town of Bethesda. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, right? So they said, look, we found Messiah, the guy we've heard about, the guy we've read about all our lives, the guy that the prophets wrote about. we found Messiah. And verse 46, Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. So when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching him, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now Jesus had never met Nathanael. Now just stay with me because the plot thickens right here. Verse 48. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Now, Jesus indicates already to Nathanael now that, hey, man, I I know all about you. I know who you are. I'm the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm all-knowing. So when he said that to Nathanael, verse 49, Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe... Because I told you, I saw you under the fig tree, you will see greater things than that. Now somebody thinking, what does any of this have to do with Genesis chapter 28? John chapter one, verse 51. Listen. He said, "This is Christ. Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of man." See the connection he makes right there? Here's what Jesus is saying. Not only am I the Messiah, not only am I called to come and save you, but I give you through me access to the Father in heaven. You understand that? I am the ladder. I am the gateway. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, I'm the promised seed of Abraham. I am the Messiah. I am the path that you can take as you walk through life. And so, if any of you have ever doubted or are struggling, let me just be very clear before I finish this morning. There is no way to heaven except through Christ. No way. He is Jacob's ladder. He is the ladder upon which the angels ascend and descend. And through him, God is a holy God. We are a sinful people. Only through Christ do we have access to the Father. So we've got a man here, Jacob, who was alone. He was afraid, separated from the Lord. God speaks to him in a very powerful way. It leads Jacob to worship. And I just want to finish with this idea. God is saying to you, I am God. I'm in control. If you will just trust me, I will work through you and do great things. And all he needs us to do is respond by saying, yes, Lord, use me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture. Thank you for the connection that you made, that Christ made from John 1 to Genesis 28. It ties it up nicely for us to understand, Lord, that Christ is the ladder. Christ is the way we get to heaven. Christ is the bridge we have with a Holy Father. And so, Father, I pray that as we understand more about the life of Jacob, I pray that we would understand where he was, his depression, Lord, his sadness, his separation, how even in that difficult moment you spoke to him and then gave him a clear vision and used him in powerful ways. Lord, do the same with us. As we struggle wherever we are right now, that person right now, Lord, in this congregation that's struggling right now, that's just not sure, speak to that person reassure them of your power you are the king of kings and the lord of lords you do have a plan for their life you do want to use them and then lord allow that to lead them to worship lead them to action lead them to bring you glory and honor in all things we love you and we serve you it's in jesus name we pray amen you can stand the altar is open as it always is you can come and pray i can talk to you about salvation or joining the church but this is your time to respond you come